the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Someone saw me carry this football into the uh, sanctuary today, and they're wondering, what is a preacher bringing up a football for? Well, I'm reminded of that story that I often like to tell about the winningest football player, a coach, I should say, of all times. I think uh, it's almost undisputed, and his name was Vince Lombardi. In fact, they even got an exit there in New Jersey or New York that is just an icon to Vince Lombardi. And uh, one time uh, he said this statement, and I think it's uh, true, that's the way he really thinks. He says, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Well, I don't know about your college team and how it's going to do in the next uh, few weeks or month here as we're coming to the end of that. But there was something else that Vince Lombardi said. He was asked by, uh, I guess, one of those reporters and said, what makes your team so good? Is it the razzle-dazzle plays? Is it all the technology? Is it the good coaches you have, the great players? He says, no. And with a twinkle in his eye, he said this. He says, we just do the basics, the best. And I like that phrase because it reminded me of Christians, that Christians today, they really don't know how to do the basics the best. Maybe you're like one of the Christians like I was when I was growing up. I wasn't a Christian then, but I was one of those folks that never really questioned the Bible. I never really thought, well, is this really God's mind on paper or not? Could I really believe that this is true? Somehow, some way, however I was uh, taught, I just took the Bible at face value, that this is truth. There's no error in it. I need to really listen to it. The challenge I had was we never had a Bible around the house. I had a good dad. He'd say, good boys go to heaven, Stan. Bad boys go to hell. And Stan, if you're good, you'll go to heaven. But if you're bad, you'll go to hell. And by the way, Stan, you're bad. So I figured I was going to hell. And I had my family here, and they knew in a way I was kind of like the black sheep of the family, kind of crazy. But I could tell you this, that somehow supernaturally in my mind, I did have this question. Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? And will I go to heaven? So much so, as a 16-year-old, I cried unto God and I said, God, I want to know for sure, whatever it takes, I'll do it in order to go to heaven. Well, the interesting thing was, I came to a meeting, and at that meeting, I heard how I could have everlasting life, and I'll share that with you in a little bit. But at that meeting, I trusted Christ as my Savior, so I took it by blind faith. A few weeks after that, I went to another youth meeting that we had. Our youth pastor was a great guy, knew the Bible, knew why we believe the Bible. He always led off every one of our youth meetings with at least one fact about the Bible, how we could really trust it. Oddly enough, though, that one night that I had gone there, he didn't give us one fact. He just decided to unload a boatload of information of how we could really trust the Bible. Now, he's already given it to somebody, me, who already believed the Bible. But when he gave me that, he not only gave me the basics... He gave me the basics about the Bible the best. When I left that youth meeting, I was so passionate now, even more so than I ever was, about telling the world because now my faith was grounded in 
truth. In other words, I could trust this Bible. How many of you have your Bibles with you, electronic version, or maybe you have your regular Bible with you? And I'll even give you a little hint. If you have my notes, there are some Bible verses in it. Hold that up, if you will. How many of you got your Bible? All right. That's what we're talking about today is going to talk about the Bible. Now, I have the dubious uh, privilege of following my team teacher, our dear friend, Roy Brown, who has now covered two weeks of how we know that the Bible, or how we got our Bible, how we know the Bible's God's mind on paper. And so what I'm going to do, for those of you that are just tuning into the program and you haven't heard those messages, I'm going to take just a few minutes and I'm going to grab some of the very best, uh, the Himalayan mountain peaks of what he taught over the last two weeks, because they are very important in this train of thinking of how we got our Bible. And I don't want you to miss any of that. And then I'm going to end our session with two more truths in our steps. There'll be eight steps that I'd like to present to you as a logical framework of how we got our Bible. To do that, I've provided for you a five-page outline. Now, when you came today, you opened your worship folder and you thought, five pages, will we ever get out of here by Christmas? Well, I don't know. I thought that too with the announcements and this, that, and the other. But we will. I promise that you'll get out of here in time. But I am going to ask you to do me a favor today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you as much as possible as what it might appear a little tedious for those of you that are really outside the faith. I'm going to ask you to do something that will mean a lot to me, but at the end it will benefit you. And that is, I'd like you to listen very carefully as soon as you find your mind wandering some other place. Try to bring it right back. Because this isn't like a point here and a point there like that old Texas steer with a lot of bull in between, you know. It's going to have all these truths based upon one step upon another step on another step. So let me kind of take you back to where we're going in this teaching. We have to figure out, we have all this about God, all right? He wants to communicate to mankind, and how does he do that? So if you will, take out your notes, take out your Bible, and we're going to go over at least six of those points from what we've covered before, but I'm going to give that just a little bit more speed, and I'm going to trust that you'll look at your notes, go back over them. If you want a fuller version of all of this, you can certainly contact the office. We'll give you the notes that were given from Roy, my notes, mine are are nine pages that I have that you don't have that I'll be glad to give that to you. One of the questions that we're often asked is that is, why did God want to communicate with mankind anyway? And usually I like to ask it this way, you know, why would he ever want to? You know, we're a bunch of sinners, we rebel against God, we do our own thing. But God is a God that he, he's a relational God, the only God that is a relational God. And so he wants to communicate to us. And when he communicates to us, he wants to do it in a way so that we would really know, here it is, the genuine God, who he really is, and we would understand who he is. But also part of knowing who he is is, since he created us, why does he want to have a relationship with us? And better yet, why does he want us to have a relationship with him? So he's revealing who he is to us. He's also revealing us to himself, not that he doesn't know us, but so that we would know how to connect better to God. In addition to that, and here's an important point, if he's going to reveal about who he is to us, he has to do it in a way that it would be preserved in what we're going to call Scripture here, the Bible here. And so he's going to reveal it to us in Scripture. And I'm going to open that up in just a moment here. So he's communicating to us, and I love it, because it's not your opinion about God or the late-night comedian's opinion about God that really matters. And if he does give that opinion, my really question is, is where did you get that from? And if he comes up with his own, well, I got it from here, I heard it from there, I heard it from a prof in college, that's really nice, but to me... I need to know what is the foundation of his truth, and how do you know that that truth is accurate? And of course, we have the Bible for that. Now again, we're just at point number one, the revelation. Look at your notes, if you will, for just a moment, because I want to explain to you what is revelation. Revelation is the revealing of the mind and the heart of God 
to mankind. Obviously, if he's going to reveal himself, it's got to be seen or heard or understood by others, and it'd be mankind. So it's revealing who God is. And what better source could we ever have than a Bible that we can read ourselves? It's not just having to only go through another speaker, although God does give teachers and preachers, and that's important, but you can understand the Bible if you're following the biblical principles to do that. So it's God really revealing himself to us, and, and I really love that. Now, there are two general ways that he does, two, two, two ways he does this. One way is through what we generally call just general revelation. Here's what I found very interesting. Let me ask you this. Last Sunday's paper, when you got the last Sunday's paper here in Orlando, they have a section in there, and I don't have time to read the paper very much, so I'm flipping it through, trying to pull out all the coupons for Carol. You ever do that? Carol, she needs all the discount. what's on sale here and there. So I'm pulling all that out, and I get to this section, and it was the travel section. And in it, it said, Swiss Alps in the winter. Now, normally I wouldn't care because I don't like cold weather, but because my background is Swiss, and I've been to Switzerland two or three times taking people on tours, I said, let me see what he had to say. Within the first or second paragraph, here's a guy who I know nothing about his spiritual background. He writes every week in the paper, and he says, who can go to the Swiss Alps in the winter and not say, glory be to God? All right, so that is the revelation of God in a general sense. But even then, you know, anybody can do that, but to know, is this the God of the Bible? How do I really know him? We move it from the general aspect, which is in our conscience and other places, to what we call special revelation. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now we can say, all right, there is a God. He did create all of this, and he wants to communicate with us, and he wants us to communicate to him, and this is the right way we do it, so he reveals himself to it. So the very first part of it, this is revelation, revealing his mind and his heart to us. But if you just stopped right there, you still only have one out of seven steps. And I like the term steps. Steps means I I go from here to get over there. I've got to take some steps. Now, technically, some steps are going to be a bigger step. Some steps are going to be a little smaller step. By by the end of today's three-part series, we're going to be at the end of these seven steps in how we know we got the Bible. So now let's go to step two. Step two is this. It's called inspiration. Inspiration. I like this because it really helps us to understand, again, God's mind. He says, I want to reveal it to you. So how does he reveal it to you? He begins it with inspiration. Look at the definition I provided for you. Those of you that are traveling in your car, just listen to it. It goes like this, and I thank Roy for writing this out for us. Inspiration is the process of giving the message of God, God has a message, through human authors, not one author at one time in a dark, stormy night, or in a covered wagon moving his way towards Utah. It's through human authors within their own culture of the human author in their own language, and you could add even their own personality in a way, but guided by the Holy Spirit of God. You want to underline that. So it wasn't just a bunch of guys that dreamed up about God and they felt like we need to really create a God so that people follow this God and get their lives together so we could have peace on earth. No, they were inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. Here it is in a way that is understood by mankind. So God has a message. He gives it to a bunch of writers. All right, these writers are going to write, not so much by dictation, God is whispering in their ear, but God is giving them that message through their culture, their language, their time in history, their personality, guided by the supernatural force of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, who's the author of the Bible? We say God, but technically, Scripture would say the Holy Spirit, and that's all God the same. But now they do it so that mankind, here it is, here it is, can correctly know who God is. 
And that's called inspiration. And that's very, very important for us to know. And you can see some verses that I've given to you there. Notice the next question I'm asking here. What books or scrolls and writings of humans are divinely inspired and included in the Bible? Now listen carefully to this point. If God decided to give a message and he's now giving it to these writers and these writers are now going to record that guided by the Holy Spirit, how do we know that what that guy says is from God and that guy says is from God? How do we know that they're really from God? Because there's a lot of books that are out there. There are lots of writings. There's a lots of what we'll call, here it is, holy books that are out there. And then you have the lost book of something that somebody found in some cave somewhere. How do we know that that's part of the Bible? Now, let me tell you, those are all very legitimate questions. And if those of you that are going to engage our secular world culture and universities, or you're even your neighbor, maybe getting your hair cut, that question is going to come up. You have to have an answer for that. How do we know that? Well, here's a word. It's the word canon. Now, I don't mean a canon like a canon. I'm talking about a divine rule or a measuring stick. In other words, we have to have a divine measurement, a divine rule, a standard by which we can now evaluate all the other books. <clears throat> now watch, up, watch very carefully. I'm going to hold this up here. I don't know if you can see this real well. <clears throat> These are rulers. In a way, the canon would be a ruler. This is a foot ruler. So if a foot ruler will tell you how many inches are in a foot ruler, anybody, everybody, how many inches? There's 12. There's 12 of those. All right, so that's the canon, that's the standard. Now, I have another ruler over here, and once I put these rulers together, this one has 12 inches, this has 12 inches, and they'll be equal to one another. So now we have the canon, the standard. Now, as these books are being evaluated, watch this, this is very technical. While these books are being evaluated by the divine standard of books, they then will either be accepted in the canon or rejected from the canon. So now I'm going to put up a bunch of these. These are various books of the Bible. We have the canon. Now look up here. Carol was good enough to give me this. So maybe somebody else writes a book and it says, I got this vision from God, and he writes it all down. How do we know that that's a genuine vision from God that should be included in the Bible, the canon that meets all the measurements? And I'll talk about that in a moment. You take what that other person that said from God, and you now run it up against the existing measurement of what is included in the canon, what is included in the Holy Writ, what is included in all the divine proper requirements that will fit a divine book of God. So you measure it. And we look at this one here, we say, uh-uh, that, that's too short, that doesn't work. So we throw it away. Good book, might have some good principles, but it could be dangerous if we say that's from God when it doesn't measure up with this. So then uh, maybe a hundred years or a thousand years later, someone else writes one. His book is a little thicker. All right? And so now we, this guy says, this is a message from God. This is how, we, and so what this person's done, they've taken some of the teaching that's in this canon, they've added more of it to themselves, and they now say, well, now you have this canon, but what I have is even more than that. Okay, well, let's now take what you wrote plus what you stole from the Bible, borrowed from the Bible, and we're going to put it up against this canon here. And when they do that, and it doesn't measure, they'll say the same thing. Probably some good writings there, but it's dangerous because now you're taking some truth and you're sprinkling in it some arsenic that isn't from God, and now we don't know what to believe. So this would be the canon. Now, if you're a, a reasonable person, you're sitting out there saying, well, that sounds really good, but what are the tests of canonicity? Well, we provided that for you in the last couple of weeks. If you look at your notes, you'll have them in front of you. Now, I'm not having the time to go through these, but I did want to leave them with you. Let's look at them very quickly here. What are the tests of canonicity? What are the guidelines to determine if you wrote a book we could include in the Bible? 
Is the book genuine? In other words, there's no forgery. It's accurate historically, no errors. Does the book have prophetic or apostolic authority? In other words, has it been spoken by those that were well-respected in the Bible times? All right, apostolic authority. Is the book validated by Christ or the apostles, which is important? In other words, does Christ talk about it? Does the prophets talk about it? Do the apostles talk about it? In other words, is this taken actually from Scripture? So they're now validating its reality of it. Is the book in the Old Testament... Is a book in the Old Testament accepted by the Jewish community? A lot of, of stuff was screened out because the Jewish community just looked at it and said, that's a pretty good book, but it's not the Old Testament, the holy book. And then the same with the New Testament. I've added five more that are saying the same thing that the previous five tests of canonicity are so that you can see it again. Again, multiple sources. This is very important. Multiple sources that are now setting up the standard for canonicity all use the same standard for canonicity, showing you that it's already locked in place. So let's say that um, <laughs> this last week we were having trouble with our, our sprinkler system, and it was just water was shooting up like a geyser, so I'm trying to figure out what to really do with this. And had the guy come out, and it looked like during the hurricane, the tree was wobbling back and forth, and when it did, the roots ripped up the, 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 the ground and tore up the sprinkler system under the ground. And so this guy was out there, we're digging it up, and where we're doing this, all this stuff. And I like to ask questions. I say, hey, you've been doing this a long time? I say, have you ever got any money you found? And he said, no. I said, what's the most interesting thing you've ever found? He said, I was pounding the ground like this, and I heard a clink, and I brushed all the dirt away. And there was a missile under there. I said, you're kidding me. Now, it wasn't a missile. It was more like an ordinance, which could be just as bad if you hit that thing. My point is simply this. Let's say you're digging around in your backyard, and you hear a clink, but it's a ceramic vessel, and you open that up, and out of it pops what looks like a holy book. And you might say, ah, 66 books of the Bible. This is number 67. Now, I found this, and I'll be rich or whatever. You still have to take that and run it through the same canonicity. I firmly believe with all of my heart, with all the research, all the scholars, there will be no more books found. Everything we need to know about life and godliness and God has already been revealed, already passed the test of canonicity, and we have it today. So now you have God wanting to speak to mankind, and he does. He does it through human authors, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using the author's own culture and history and background and personality and all of that to now record it. That now is provided through inspiration. We now have a divine standard by which we run all of this through, and we have it together. Now, before I go to my next point, I need to beat this one more time. When different writings come up from other religions and cults and all this stuff, the majority of those that are accepted by so many people of those writings, it's written by one person with very little accountability. And what you would do if you were a pharmacist or if you were doing testing for, for uh, disease control, whatever you do, a double-blind test, none of that goes on. It's just we just take it, you know, what he feeds me I will swallow, all right? And they take that. I'm not trying to be cutesy, but, but they do that. Now you take it up against the Bible, you've got many more writers living at various times that didn't even know one another in different cultures recording what they believe God was telling them, and all of them are connecting together. That's the beauty of it all. 
It's all connecting together, but yet at the same time, it's expanding and growing more of the truth of God. Watch this now. But not contradicting itself. So this wasn't done again on a stormy night in someone's garage. It was done through many authors over many, many years that now we can look at it and through tremendous amount of evaluation come to be truth. Let me say one more thing about this. Most of what's coming up today are writings that occurred the last 150, 200 years. Now, there are some that go a little bit further back than that. I get all of that. But none of them go as far back as the Bible would go. And that has given us a lot more time. Here's the key. To check out the genuineness, to check out the accuracy, to check out the authenticity of what was written. So when you hear people just shoot their mouth off and talk about, I don't believe the Bible, it's full of errors, it's got this wrong or that wrong. You know, I I look at them in my heart and I say, oh, my friend, I know you're only saying this because that's what people told you to say or what they believe. And you're resting, watch this, your eternal destiny on the opinions of others and never have gone through or had the privilege of being able to really research these truths and find this out for yourself. Now, I'm giving this to you in this room, not the people that are here. It's going on radio and all this other place. I am not afraid to say this so that anybody who's listening to me can challenge this truth to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate on the steps of how we got our Bible. Because it's all out there over not decades, not centuries, but millenniums. Okay, so that's inspiration. So let's go to number three, because, okay, now i got the Bible. These guys got the message. Now they write, they're writing it all down. How do we know that what we have today matches of what they said or what they wrote, you know, like I said, millennials ago? We call that preservation, or we could even call it um, transmission. Look at the, uh, the meaning of it. Preservation, sometimes called transmission, is the process of copying the contents of the Bible, the Bible text, so that it will be available to all mankind. Now, this gets really good. So here's what happens. God has a message. He gives it to the writers. The writers all write it down. What they write it on, that is now called, this is very important, the original manuscripts. Now, the big question is, is do we have those original writings today? Don't be afraid to answer correctly. No, we don't have those original manuscripts. Aha! Since we don't have the how can we really test what we have today? We don't have the original. Here's the beauty of that. You have to ask the question, why don't we have these originals? Well, for one reason, I love this, if we had them today, I don't think they would have lasted today. They get worn out. You just wear stuff out. Those originals would be all gone. Watch this. If, if, if all we relied upon were the originals and they rotted because they were on animal skin that finally fell apart and all that kind of stuff, we'd have no Bible today. If we had the originals, we re- if we had those originals, they probably be, because they're holy books, worshipped so much that they'd be torn and stolen and black marketed and all that stuff so that the, the amount of, of, of dis- destruction would be gone and we'd have no copies later. So all of a sudden, that word now is gone, and the whole train of God revealing himself to mankind would be lost because all we did was keep the originals. They were easily destroyed because of age, or they were destroyed because they were worshipped. Someone once said, if we had all the pieces of the cross upon which Jesus died on, it would fill up a half a dozen train cars. Okay? We would have that. And the other thing is, is the beauty of how God does this, he says, I knew that they wouldn't last long. I can't preserve, I, no, I can't, I didn't preserve those for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have holy men that meet a certain criteria, take what was written now, 
in the original manuscripts and make copy of it. Here's what we could say. It's the, it's the brand new original first version of a Xerox machine. Okay? These guys were copying it. Now, when you say that, some of you will say, well, what about that old telephone trick? You know, you're in school, the teacher whispers here, get on this line, and I'm going to say, okay, the sky is blue. And then you say it to the next person. And there's always some wag out there that by the time it gets over here, he changes the message. And they say, I want you to know the teacher's a jerk, you know. And we're afraid of that, okay. But again, we don't have to be afraid of that kind of thinking because here's what's happening. The guys who were selected were holy scribes. The holy scribes already had to have a reputation of honesty, decency, and integrity, and scholarship with the ability to have a high respect for the original manuscripts. So now they're getting ready. So they do a personal cleansing, a spiritual cleansing. They're already identified who's going to do this. They take the original writings and they begin this as the first step. They count every word in that document, the original manuscript document, in the section they're called to copy. They count every word, blah, 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 blah. They total it up. Then they have to count every letter, blah, 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 and they total it out. Now they're ready to write. So as they're writing, they're doing it very carefully. There's no distraction. They don't have headsets listening to some iPod music. They're really focused on what they do, and all of a sudden they get to the name Yahweh. Now they go through another cleansing. They, they say it in a very special way because it's so holy, because they're driven by holiness, integrity, worship of, the, of God and not wanting to make a mistake, doing it right. So they cleanse themselves and they do it again. Now they finish all that copy. When they're all done with that copy, then they have to sit back and now they get counted. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.